Hi and welcome to episode 37 of Talking with Painters where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger and my guest today is Vincent Fantuzzo, one of Australia's most popular portrait artists. He's won the Doug Moran National Portrait Prize, the Archibald People's Choice Award four times and was recently commissioned to paint the official portrait of former Prime Minister Julia Gillard for the Parliament House Collection. But his wasn't a smooth path to success. He grew up in a tough neighbourhood where you had to literally fight to get by and he learned to survive by becoming someone that went against his true nature. On top of that, unaware he had dyslexia, he struggled at school and was kicked out at 13. And from that age, earned a living from job to job. But he never stopped drawing and he realised that was what he did best. And how he got into and finished university is a story in itself. He's now an adjunct professor of that institution, RMIT. In this episode, we talk about how he got where he is, his portraits of actor Heath Ledger, film director Baz Luhrmann, acclaimed actress Asha Keddy, who is also his wife, and the portrait of Julia Gillard. But he also talks about his passion to take art to people who might never have set foot in a gallery. Vincent also co-owns a restaurant, Harley House, in Melbourne CBD, and we recorded the interview there, so if you hear any background noise, it's just the staff getting ready for the day's work. All the paintings we talk about are on the website, talkingwithpainters.com. I started by asking Vincent about his childhood. I was born in England, and I came here uh, early, like, perhaps or five, I think it was. And uh, my mum is Irish, my dad's Italian. They met here at an immigration camp in Broadmeadows, of all places. And Is that in Melbourne, Broadmeadows? In Melbourne. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they got married. Then they moved to back to England because my mum thought England was better. They moved there, had a couple of us kids, there's five of us, realised it wasn't better and came back to Australia. And I grew up in around Glenroy, Broadmeadows, those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? It's terrible. It's the kind of place, I mean, my, my family's lovely, I love them, um, but the, um, it's the kind of place your car gets stolen, your house gets broken into. You, if you go to the milk bar, someone watches the bikes where you go inside. Uh, right. People get stabbed and shot. And, so that was. So how did you deal with that as a kid? Um, there were five of us kids, and um, for the second part of my childhood, my mum was a single mum. So there was five kids and just my mum, mm-hmm. and we were still in the commission housing. But we we moved a lot, so maybe moved house 15, 20 times oh. at least. Oh wow! Um, right. And she worked really hard, but with five kids as a single mum, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, Jeez, that would have been a, an anxious time as a kid, or did you it feel was, anxious? Um, it was because I think I had to play a role that wasn't really myself to defend myself and my family in the environment. So if you're not a bit of a bad guy, then you'll get taken advantage of. So you have to, you have to fight. And did you sort of learn that yourself, that you had to become that person? Yeah, there was no choice. <laughs> yeah. So how did you become that person? 
Um, I think I just f fell into it. You know, I was lucky. Um, I was always in sport. Um, I was always into martial arts and boxing and um, was quite serious about it. So I didn't get involved in drugs and, um, but you still had to, you still had to kind of at least look like you're tough in the area. You right. Know, you have to own a pit bull and, and kind of oh. make sure no one steals your shit. So, and if something happens, you have to be, you know, you have to fight. So that was a da almost daily occurrence as a kid. Um, it seems like another world. Yeah. And it's yeah. not me. But so I, when, did, when were you able to be yourself again? Um, well, part of the problem also was having dyslexia and not being able to read and write well. I had a tough time at school as well. Mm -hmm. So it was easier to be the naughty kid in class and get kicked out. And I did get kicked out of class a lot because I couldn't do the work. Mm. And eventually I got kicked out of school. I was only 13. Right. So, um, but did, did you know that you had learning difficulties? No, I just thought I was stupid. Oh, right. And I think it's so different now. Yeah. And that's why I'm happy to uh, speak about it because I, I wouldn't want other kids to think that's the case with them. Mm. Um, you know, it's just... Um, something I didn't know about until I was an adult. So 13 is pretty young to get kicked out and not, not have any schooling. Yeah, so I look at 13 year olds now and they look like babies. Yeah. And I think, how did that happen? And it just did, I, I didn't even know why. I wasn't even asked to go back to school. So what, so what sort of were artistic influences did you have at that stage? Well, my mum is great at drawing. My dad can draw and paint as well, not bad. My mum, I think she actually has some real amazing talent. And I grew up just, I was just always drawing, never painting. We didn't have paints. I got into a little bit of graffiti as a teenager. Um, and even then it was, I was trying to paint people and pictures on walls, not, you know, trash kind of graffiti. Um, my mum, was she always encouraged art around the house we were always drawing or making something sculpting something and I ended up even it was a rental house painting all the walls in my house and um, every wall was it was like a mural oh, over kidding. the whole house so she let us do that even though we shouldn't and what sort of things most of the houses they? got knocked down oh. after we moved out anyway because they were kind of you know, we were getting cheap rent in crap houses. Uh, I was painting everything. I, you know, it was, I had no, I'd never been to an exhibition or an art gallery or looked at an art book. I didn't even know who Picasso, or Michelangelo, or any. I had no idea. I actually hadn't been to an exhibition until I started uni, mm. so I had no idea about art history. So I was just kind of painting imagery that I liked, pictures from a movie, um, even animated things. So did you miss the whole of high school? Mm -hmm. Is that, and then so how did you end up at uni? So during those years, I worked as a chef for a while. I worked as a concreter, painted houses, uh, just anything I could do. 
not being able to read as well. So I remember trying to get a job in a factory and I couldn't pass a test. Mm. So it was whatever I could, painting so houses I could do. Mm. Um, but when you grow up in kind of a poor environment, you, you don't want to live in that environment all your life. And to my best of my knowledge, artists had no money, which isn't true. But that's what even today people it's kind of drummed into kids mm. so I, I didn't pursue it until I realized it's actually it's what I do best yeah. um, I opened it I think I was 19 or something and I opened a dry cleaners and I just sat there all day drawing pictures and people kept coming in and saying the pictures are great the drawings and I just said oh, I'm just gonna try and get into university and I I always felt like I missed out because I missed school so I applied to BCA and RMIT and I got rejected <laughs> and then I applied again the next year Yeah. and I just put together a portfolio I, I lied about my schooling this time around yeah. and I bluffed my way in to uni and I, had, I got there and I had no idea there was all these kids straight out of school they knew all about art history they were doing you know, VCA exhibitions and I was completely overwhelmed yeah. and I dropped out um. and then it was just I, I felt like I felt stupid again mm. so, well it would um, have been very difficult if you, if you found reading difficult How, yeah you know. I just thought I, I can't do this it's not me yeah yeah um, to make money I started drawing I remember I met some hustlers and they were selling sports memorabilia and making money so I started drawing sports people and oh, things yeah. and they would get them autographed and sell them and I'd make money from it so I started to make some money and I thought okay now I've got some money I'm going to go back to uni and try again so I went back to uni um, so the practical side was easy and art history it was just like hell every time yeah. I had to sit there, go to it, write. I'd, I didn't do, I'd never written an assignment or even done a piece of homework in my life. So I, because I was making some money selling portraits and things, I was paying other students to do my essays. Yeah. In my third year, I paid someone, I've told the story before, um, I paid someone who plagiarized the whole essay. So I handed it in yeah. and they said, come clean for plagiarism. So I just said, uh, I paid someone to do it because I can't do it. And right. the history teacher was horrible, but there were a lot of other teachers that were very supportive. And mm. the university itself was incredibly supportive, especially in the long run. Mm. And they, it was depressing at the time because I had to find out I had dyslexia. I went and got testing done. Mm. And I, by that point I had a suspicion that's what it was even though I couldn't spell the word so that's <laughs> why would they make it so difficult to spell um, so I went had testing done I showed the school they took me to the disability liaison which was also a bit depressing um, uh, but very helpful mm, so I worked mm. with someone who helped me write my essays and sit the exams and they and work with them mm -hmm. so I ended up doing my masters and now I'm also an adjunct professor at the university 
can we do, can we jump to to 2008 because that was when you had your first finalist painting in the Archibald Prize yeah. of Heath Ledger, and it was called Heath, the 2008 painting. And we said earlier that it was uh, it was highly commended. <coughs> it got the People's Choice, and now it's in the permanent collection of the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Did you, he was? I understand he was a friend of yours yeah. for a few years before that. Yeah. So we um, were planning on painting this. We were planning on collaborating in quite a few ways. Um, this painting we have been planning to do for years. Yeah. And it for just, the Archibald or not necessarily? No, just, just as yeah. a collaboration, a portrait. Yeah. Um, Heath was really into art and had a lot of friends that were artists and liked my work. Um, and he would um, visit my place in Melbourne when he was here and see the paintings. And so we really wanted to make it happen and it just so happened that um, that was right before his death. Unbelievable. So yeah. he died a few weeks after you finished three, it, wasn't it? He died three weeks after I started the painting, which is when I finished it. Oh, it must have been just shock for you. Because yeah, you would so have been immersed. I can imagine painting that. Mm. You would have been immersed in thinking about him all, all the time. All I was doing was looking at his face all day, every day, every mark on his body, what the painting meant to him, having sh shut the photographs at his mum's house in Perth, discussing my life and his and where we were in life and um, all that was going on and I literally I'd shown Heath sketches and I tried to email it to him the night before and it the email didn't go through he'd seen black and white sketches of the work um, and I literally hung the wall hung I was painting it at home and I hung it on the wall behind the television. I turned the television on in the morning and he's, he was there. Oh. So that was, was, was very strange and surreal and sad. Yeah, that was shocking. Yeah. Um, well, the actual, can I just, I'll just yeah. describe it for people who haven't seen it, but I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with it. It's um, a triple portrait of him and the, the middle face is looking towards the viewer, sort of quite, well, I would say sort of forlornly almost you know and then the other two are whispering into his ear yep. can you tell me a bit about that sitting and the the photography session that led to that yeah so before I do I, a portrait like this is a is a collaboration so it's as much Heath's idea as mine and we spoke in depth about our lives and his life and also him being a public figure and um, I had friends that were actors and singers and kind of and been in these environments and I kind of understood the complexities of what he was going through in his personal life as well as um, his public life. Is that and because of the media and that sort of thing? Yeah, because of the media and you know he's not um, he's not an extroverted he can play a character he can have confidence and but he's not an extroverted guy he's quite shy or and he's also likes to keep things to himself and you can't always do that which I've learnt more and more through throughout my life now and with my wife and friends and mm -hmm. um, there's enormous stresses and when you're having difficulties in your personal life as he was at the time you want to keep as much as you can to yourself. Mm. But Heath at that time 
was really positive as well as talking about that darkness he also was really inspired to do well for his daughter he wasn't drinking he was really focused on his his career and speaking a lot about the future mm. so you know and there was always a question about what happened to him but i i know it was just a bad set of circumstances and an accident um yeah well that could was have been I, avoided. Think, I think that's what they yeah. found the prescription yeah that's right know, that sort of and heath knew that everything he said can be misconstrued and uh, bent and taken advantage of and as much as you want to give a lot out you have to hold things back so he has to keep this in the image he's keeping this almost zombie-like muted you know he everything's just being sucked out of him and he's just staring through the uh, the viewer but then it's he's like sort of numb a numbness yeah a numbness and the figures around him one's kind of almost amused and looking a little bit sinister or sneaky and the other ones whispering in to him as well and they're they're laughing at what they're seeing and what he's seeing but keeping it he's keeping it to himself so he's there's a lot going on inside but mm. he has to contain it all but then there's there was uh, during that photo shoot there was anger and laughter and I could have done this painting ten times over mm. and it would have been quite different with the same all the same roles he was playing at the same in the same shoot well you were telling me that earlier that he it was like he was giving a performance while you yeah. were shooting so he sat there for the for the central image and then it was like he was still sitting there on the chair it was in his mum's backyard early in the morning he'd been out the night before and uh, he was in his pajamas with his t-shirt off but the performance was so involved and it was hypnotic and he was almost trance-like and when it circled around himself speaking and laughing and whispering and it was all all the emotions he was feeling about life and himself he just poured out laughter anger frustration happiness so yeah. he so he was a really like he lived acting didn't he did yes yeah, as did. though he he was he just loved doing it yeah he absolutely loved it um, and yeah. he loved all art forms as well. So, mm. And the painting, as dark as it seems, has actually become a real celebration to me and to his family and, and we've become really close. Mm. And um, mm. his dad's been quite a mentor to me and, um, you know, he's always there for me. So that's, it's been, yeah. there's a, a lot of positives have come yeah. out of it. Well, it's great that the Art Gave in New South Wales has got it now. It's great that, you know, the people well, it is kind of great, but I gave the painting to Sally, Heath's mum, and we agreed she wanted people to see it. So she gave it to the Art Gallery of New South Wales so people would see the painting, but the Art Gallery of New South Wales never hung the painting. So it sat in storage until this year where they loaned it to the WA Museum which it's showing at now, which is great. Because so there's a show on Heath Ledger over at the Yeah, that the family's right. put on. Uh. So it's nice now. For The idea was that people could go and mm. pay tribute to Heath and see him, and mm. um, it has a place. So it was a bit frustrating. It sat in storage for mm. 
How many years? Ten years. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully maybe they'll bring space, it out. Maybe they have a space problem. Yeah, well, maybe when they extend <laughs> the art gallery, they'll have a spot for it. But, um, yeah, look, it was one of, it's one of those paintings that I remember from, yeah. you know, the past years of the Archibald. It really is powerful. Yeah, we, we, talk, we, we mentioned earlier the portrait of Baz Luhrmann and he's also in the film industry. He's a, mm. he's a famous Australian film director mm. and he's also in a very interesting pose in this painting and um, where he's got his head in his hands and he's, it's really a portrait of his hand, like it's a picture, mm. painting of his hands. So you can't see much of his face except for his forehead and he's got a small band-aid on his forehead. And it's just, it's so striking because when you think of Baz Luhrmann in a public way, you know, when you see him publicly, he's mm. just not like that. He would no. never show that vulnerable, sort of despairing sort of yep. side to him. Mm. So are you always looking for, to find something like that in, the, in your subjects? Baz is a really close and incredible friend. He's given me lots of really wise advice about art and truth in art and what's worked for him and what doesn't and mistakes he's made. And he's... What, what do you mean by truth in art? Well, one of the things that stuck in my head was to have truth in art, you have to make art that you believe in, not try and make art for its audience. And if you make art you believe in it will find its audience mm. and I also remember him we were taking we would just go and take photos quite a lot and we went on a few trips to India and Vietnam and we, we were talking about portraits and he was saying you know why not just take a photo of the back of someone's head you can tell as much about someone from their body language or their body or their head you know not everything you can't put everything into one image so why not, you know, what, what does someone's posture say when you see them walking down a street from behind? So if you know Baz, you know his hands, and he has quite distinct hands, I think, and even the texture of his skin and his forehead, his, the texture of his hair. If you know Baz, it's clearly Baz, but mm. if you just looked at the image and you didn't know, you'd have no idea. Mm. And I think sometimes it's more difficult to say to show less and say more whereas in a lot of realist or figurative painting people often try and and I've done it before try and fit the whole person in there every bit of light in their eyes you know the wrinkles on their face and yeah. it's a real thing with realist painters how much detail can I get in there and yes. I think sometimes the detail detracts or you know you can't say everything in one image mm. unless you one of those surrealist painters that puts a lot of symbolism and <laughs> well, some stairs and that's a, interesting you know. actually because I, I was trying to pinpoint you know I was when I was preparing for this interview I was thinking what why is it that some of the realist painters why you can tell when it's not a good realist painting, you know, and you can tell when it's a good realist painting. And I was thinking, what is the difference? And maybe what you've just said is one of the main differences where you're not spelling it all out. Mm. I think it also comes with experience and confidence and artists allowing themselves to follow their, their instincts. Even a photographer can spend so much time trying to get aperture right and and the tech technicalities of a camera 
and someone else can take a photo on their iPhone and it's much more powerful because they were in the moment and they captured the moment. And I think it's really important in a portrait to have the connection with the subject and an understanding and an empathy and not overthinking how you're going to translate that. Mm. So it's not about, oh, can you wear your favorite tie? And can you put a book in the background that you, you like to read and <laughs> your dog's in a reflection in a fishbowl? You know, it's, it can get really, there's a fine line. It gets cheesy very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And you can get some incredible, as I was saying earlier, incredible paintings of terrible photographs because mm. the photograph wasn't thought out and you know it's really difficult if I do a portrait I take a hundred photographs of someone and then you have to go through those photographs and p choose one image to say all the things that those hundred photographs take yeah. and the How beauty about painting that? well the beauty about painting is it's kind of like paint photoshop so I can without making the picture become, without the person becoming something they're not, I can remember the conversation I had while taking the photos and a glint in their eye or their, their mouth twitch or move or something someone does with their hands and I know they do that when they speak about their family or something they're passionate about or not passionate about mm. and I can try and, in a subtle way, that's my way of including more than it being more than the photograph that I took. Yeah. So I take it then when you say that, that in the photo shoot, if that's what you call it, do you call yeah. it a photo shoot? Well, it's, and I do, sometimes I do several of those before it becomes a painting. And sometimes a painting looks nothing like the photographs, often. What do you mean you do several of those before? The well, painting? I spend time with the subject in the paintings is and take photos and I might spend some more time and take more photos and it might be from any of the photo shoots or all of them that come into play when I make the painting. So it's sort of getting to know the person, yeah. spending time with them and, and getting that. So would that involve a lot of conversation? Yeah, like so we might go for lunch and have some drinks and I bring my camera along and I just randomly take a photograph or we'll be walking down the street and I see we're having a conversation and I see some ni nice light in the street and I stop and take a couple of shots and move on. Mm. Um, and in some cases where people are very time poor and it's a commission and things are a little more formal than that but I try and keep it as informal as possible. Mm. Well, you recently got a very famous commission, and that is a Julia Gillard, former mm. Prime Minister of Australia. Congratulations. Yep. Thank you. That's yeah. a great uh, commission to get. And I presume you were just mentioning that you're actually working on it now. So yep. you've had you you've had the the photo session. Yeah. Um, are you willing to tell us anything yeah, about so it? I really like Julia, and yeah, um, I find her incredibly interesting and. She's got an amazing sense of humour and she can laugh at herself and she can, she has a really valid opinion about everything and she's, I didn't have, I don't know a lot about politics so I, I, I wasn't shadowed by any expectations or, mm. or what to expect mm. but what I learnt was a surprise. It's so, it's so great to be asked to do a commission and then find out 
that you really like the person. Yes, I can and imagine. And it makes yeah. for a very different painting. And yeah. so I'd met Julia a couple of times before we did photographs and we spoke a lot just about everything. Um, so she, she very, gave a lot of her time to you? Yeah, lots of her time and yeah. she's very, she's really attentive and she's also really interested in other people and mm. asked mm. a lot of questions and it took her a year to decide on her portrait and I think it's important to her because um, she knows it's um, part of her legacy that will be left in Parliament and mm. um, she took it quite seriously but she didn't take herself too seriously. Yeah, and, um, very um, impressive person. Yeah, she didn't ask to see, I never show people images of my work, I don't tell them, they don't tell me how to paint them. Mm. All she said was she doesn't want to do things the same way it's always been done. So with a, so that's going to end up in Parliament House, isn't yeah. it? So wh what sort of limitations are you given in relation to that? It's more limitations than I've had to have for any other portrait, but not enough to limit me being creative about it. So um, there's a size restriction. Mm -hmm. You also have to basically tell them what you're painting so they don't get a big surprise. Right. But the painting will be different to any of the paintings that are in there. So, so less traditional. Yeah, definitely less traditional, more contemporary, yep. the composition. Oh, I can't wait to see yeah, it. So when, when will it be finished? Do you it would have been finished, except I had, eight weeks ago, I had a shoulder reconstruction, pins and screws, oh. and so eight weeks of being in a sling, and now I'm just starting to paint again. But right. I had started it before then, so I'm three quarters of finished. Okay. I've had to look at a half-painted painting for eight weeks killing me. That's very frustrating I can imagine. Yeah. yeah and once I start a painting I don't normally go and come back to them I just work right through and make it work get away from it. Yeah. So the only reason I wouldn't be working on it is because it's wet. Right. So I'd paint something else while that's wet and come back to it but and if I can I'll work every day from start to finish. And you're talking about it being wet so I'm quite interested in the process in your process and mm. so does that mean that you there is a lot of is it glazing or there's a lot of layering yeah so i start off with a it's kind of like a glaze to begin with which uh, a sketch and a glaze and get the whole image as accurate as i can with in that way kind of a terpsy oily paint mm -hmm. uh, painting then it becomes something more opaque where i try and get fill the painting in really it's just like coloring coloring in and then I start the glazing which for me is the most important part and that's even though the paintings seem quite thin um, or the surface is quite smooth there's maybe 20 or 30 layers of of glazing just so it's tinting 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 transparent layers over and over again so quite transparent each layer must be very it, every layer is transparent unless it's a, a kind of opaque white tish um, highlight and even then they're transparent so it's just all layers and layers and layers. I mean we were talking before this is what I found so interesting <coughs> that you were saying that each time you start a new painting it's like you're starting a new process or 
a yeah. new process, new colours. Yeah. Or so it's not as if you use the same palette every time. No, I just squeeze all the paints I have onto a palette and I can't remember how I got that dark colour for depth, whether it was a blue or a red or... Um, I hardly ever use a black in a painting, even though it looks black, it's uh, mixed l layers, glazes, reds and blues. and um, But there's no technique, so it's different brushes. Sometimes I use a spray can, sometimes I, I use my fingers, I use old brushes, new ones. I run out of them and I can't get to the art store and just use whatever's there. I use different mediums from different shops and different really? brands of paint all the time. So, it's not, so you're almost experimenting every time? Every, every time. There are certain surfaces I've found so much better to work on, so much better and I had no idea all these years I'd wasted a lot of time. What is it? What sort of surfaces? Um, at the moment I'm using, uh, what's a, I think it's a polyester linen mix and it's, it's like silk. It's so smooth, but it's quite strong. Um, and it's been laid and laid and sanded back and it's a um, so you don't universally have to do primed um, polyester canvas mix, oh, I think, okay. a polyester linen mix. So it's almost, you know, it's kind of rubbery almost. Oh, yeah. um, but it, it absorbs the paint really well and I can use anything on it. I could spray paint on it, paint over the top and it just, it's just got a nice um, balance. The reason I like painting big portraits is one, they have a great ambience and presence, but I like to get involved in the painting. And if something is, if I am painting something that's realist, within the realism, there's a lot of abstraction. Mm. And on a large scale, what appears to be real when you stand back and you get up close is actually a whole lot of abstract yeah, imagery. Yeah, we just saw that. We were looking at your painting of Luca, which was in the Archibald. It was an Archibald painting, yeah. uh, and we were, you know, we were looking close up at his Superman outfit, and it, there was all this dripping in it, and yeah, you know, so it was quite it, an abstract. Yeah, it gives the, it gives me the chance to experiment a little more and play with materials and splatter paint on the painting and use my fingers and rub things in and mm. and when you step back it kind of comes together and your eye focuses and I think it's another thing um, that often happens in realist painting and I don't think it's uh, good nor bad but if for myself uh, I find a lot of people focus the whole painting is in focus and if we generally if we're looking around the only thing that's in focus is what we're focusing on and everything else is yeah, blurred yeah. we look around and sharp again and I think some people again make it very literal and if you're painting a table with four glasses and some plates on there they can't all be in focus no. otherwise it looks like plastic that's it looks right. like a cartoon yeah which is a great example of one of your paintings. It's hanging in this in your restaurant here where we're sitting. Is your beautiful portrait of your wife Asha Ketty, who I have, we haven't mentioned is a famous Australian actress, and it has her face in focus. But even some of her hair is out of focus, and certainly the background is out of focus. Mm. Again, it's when you're painting, you have a license to play with all of those things and make it 
try and make it look the way it, it makes me feel when I'm painting it. So Asha came home from work one evening after a really long day filming and she was out on the balcony and I just remember this stillness and there was this smile of relief to be home but there was so much going on and her eyes were slightly watered from such a long day and the wind blowing and the hair was moving but there was this stillness and we were living in St Kilda and there was so much noise going on with sirens and cars and people yelling and so although the background in the photograph was soft it didn't have movement but the environment if you're standing in it and you can hear it there's so much movement going on which makes the image what it is so I tried to make the background have that movement and, and there's a serenity in her face in contrast to that. Yeah. Um, and, and actually that expression in her face, it's a very hint of a smile. Yeah. And one of the things I'm interested in with artists is how they are able to, because that's so, so subtle, uh, you have to be able to see that f afresh um, mm. while you're painting it. So you're going to be spending yeah. many hours doing that. How do, do you have any techniques that you use to see it fresh, try and see it with new eyes, with fresh um, eyes? I find it easy to be back in that moment when I'm painting someone, um, or to stay, stay in that moment for a long period of time so I can, so I can, so it doesn't change. And it's really, it is a tricky thing with a smile in a painting because it can easily start to look like a snapshot Yes. Oh, you know, like a candid photo snap. Yep. And there's a there's a bit of a balance there. And also, when you're painting someone with a smile on their face, smile. Just because someone's smiling doesn't always mean they're happy. And I think there's a you know, or a slight smile can look like a smirk. Yes. And that can give the wrong impression as well. So it's it's quite a having. A small smile on someone's face is probably one of the trickiest expressions to try and translate to an audience and have them understand the same thing. Definitely. Like she's smirking at the camera, or you <laughs> yeah. know, it's, but you exactly also right. you don't want someone if you're painting their portrait, you don't want every portrait to look miserable. So, how do you find that balance? Is yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, and sometimes also, it's in eyes. Well, that's what I was just about to say. It's it's also a combination of the mm. eyes as well, isn't yeah. it? So it's, it's very... Yeah, the cheekbones move, your chin comes in or out. And there's so many things happen, mm. and I love seeing that happen mm. in your face. Well, that, that painting is beautiful. And how did she feel about it? Well, she said, you better make it good or don't come home. <laughs> She's... Um, I presume I've, she could have vetoed it being into yeah, the Yeah, she could have definitely vetoed it. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, she lives such a, you know, uh, life in the, in the media glare. It must be difficult. Yeah, yeah, it is difficult. It, but I think my um, portrayal of her means more to her than, you know, a photo shoot she'd do for a magazine or for mm. work. So it was tricky. For, or I had a lot. I put a lot of pressure on myself to try and get it as right as I can. I do a lot of abstract painting in my studio, which I don't show, but I, I enjoy painting anything, really. And I have a lot of respect for incredible 
abstract works because it, it takes such balance and it's so difficult to really get it right, I think, is very instinctive. So what, why don't you show them? Um, I will. I just, I just haven't because I'm disorganised. <laughs> so, so when you are approaching it, an abstract work, do you feel like you're attacking that in a totally different way to your other work? Yeah, there's, there's a different... Um, th there's less pressure and more freedom, really, mm. which sounds like I should be doing it instead, but I love people and learning about them and trying to express and translate what I feel in my experience. Mm. That's what I love about portraits or even a cinematic scene, trying to tell a story that will evoke emotion or make people think about the before and after of the scene. Mm. So that's challenging and, and rewarding. Mm. But as far as putting paint on some canvas or a wall, I really enjoy the freedom and playfulness um, and I don't feel pressured. Yeah. It's like relaxation, really. And do you find um, you know when to stop with those ones? Because I, I think it's. Easy. I don't know when to stop with any painting. <laughs> I could. Sometimes I've turned paintings over and I'm like, I, I was not even close to finished. And people say, oh, it looks great, it's so finished. It's like, <laughs> no, I could have sp spent twice as long. Oh, on really? It. You could and just keep layering. Yeah, and sometimes I've overdone painting, so I have no idea. It's kind of. Sometimes I just walk away at different points. Yeah, you know, yeah. Some paintings are much more or less finished. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, no plan. Well, um, I want to talk about something else, which is your interest in street art. You know, in the laneway outside your restaurant, mm -hmm. there's a beautiful example of that. It's a portrait of, I think, a musician. Nick Chester. It? Yeah. So Nick is a friend and. He's a great guy and he's one of the most talented artists. He was a lead singer of Jet, um, now he's got his own solo album. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. Street art's broken down the boundaries that the art world and galleries kind of built up or weren't able to break down. Not many people that aren't into art go into a gallery and look at an exhibition. And now there's street art tools and kids and people taking photographs in laneways yeah. And kids want, wanting to be artists, or they want to be a street artist, or it's, you know, they're making art cool, which it should be. And every kid, this is one of my missions, or what means so much to me in art, is making art accessible and making kids and all people feel like they can have an opinion and make art themselves. You don't have to paint like I do. You don't, kids all start off as artists and they're incredible. And then when they can't get things accurate or their parents say they can't make a living, they, they lose confidence or someone tells them it doesn't look right when the beauty of what they're doing is that it doesn't look right. Yeah, exactly. And, but street art, um, if you look around, there's so, it's become incredible pictures and portraits and um, a lot of them are struggling to make a living out of it as well, but mm. they're still so passionate and they don't need a gallery to tell them that their work's good enough. When I worked as a chef when I was young, all the, back then as a young apprentice chef, you're always taken advantage of and you have to work 
90 hours a week and you get paid nothing mm. and you get thrown from one job to the next and I just thought when I had the chance I'll open my own fucking restaurant <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it was a long-term goal I always just had never spoke about it but I had in the back of my head I will oh, do that one day yeah, right. because yeah. you know you get treated kind of badly and I thought well you know I'll do what they said I couldn't and I get to show my art everywhere without having to put it in a gallery. Yes, and yes. And we were talking about lighting before, before weren't we? Because I was mm. saying how I'd seen so many of these paintings in the Archibald. Yeah. But here, with this lovely dim lighting. Yeah, it really I hate is. things being overlit. Mm. You know, I, don't, I think paintings need, as well as the light in the painting, some paintings shouldn't be shown in a bright light. It kills them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, the one you've got of Matt Moran that you did for the Archibald, it's really beautifully positioned yeah, there because the it's sort corner. of in a dark corner. He's and in it his sinister, naughty corner. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a painting of him in like a meat room with all the meat hanging, isn't it? Yeah. And it, um, he's sort of wielding a knife. Yeah, it's not where the vegetarians sit. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just lastly, um, I, often, I like asking my... my um, guests when they do have a creative partner as to how it might affect that that, that partnership <coughs> might contribute to their own creativity. Yep, Asha is my best, she's my best asset and also my strongest critic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's for the same reason, but um, it's, we were speaking about it um, the other day and she's sharing my studio and creating her own show and um, it's so nice to be in an environment. I think that's why universities work well. You're around all these other people making art, so you feel inspired and motivated. Mm. And I think uh, working in the same studio or just being creative people, you, you constantly motivate and support each other. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, you also understand the vulnerabilities of being a creative person and how much you put put into it and how taxing that can be so you can you know Asha can come home from filming and feel quite sensitive and I could feel the same from making art and um, to have someone that understands all of that I think is yeah. really important. Well Vincent thank you so much for having me here at yeah. your beautiful restaurant and I've just it's been a pleasure to see all these beautiful works hanging on the wall and um, good luck with all your future work. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Vincent Fantuso. You can go to the website to see links to things and people we talked about on the show as well as images of the paintings themselves. Thanks to everyone for your comments and messages on social media. As you probably know, Talking With Painters is on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and you can go there to see all the latest on the artists and what's coming up on the show. Also check out the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Just search Talking With Painters playlist on YouTube and you can see there um, some short videos of many of the artists that have been on the show. Also, this is the last episode for 2017. I'll be back towards the end of January 2018 with more interesting artists. But in the meantime, I'll still be posting on social media so I won't be totally out of touch. Have a great new year and thanks for listening. 
I'm all about making art accessible and people feeling they can have a valid opinion on art whether they're involved in the art world or not or they're art educated everyone has an opinion on art it's a visual language and it's fine for it to become academic but it also can speak to people on lots of different levels.